Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask you to rain down your Holy Spirit upon these two gentlemen and upon myself. I'm so thankful for their friendship, for their uh, commitment to you. Uh, I thank you so much for their obedience to to their call for you for your call to them. Uh, I ask that you continue to bless them, bless them, and and, and bless their families and bless their congregations. Uh, they they truly uh, have inspired Acadiana through their mission here, and we ask them to carry that over to to continue with the Holy Spirit to continue with the blessings that they've given to us and, and the hope that we can give back. And we ask that all Cajun Catholics in Acadiana lift them up in prayer. And for this we pray, amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Really excited today to have the dynamic duo. You've, if, if For those of you who watch ESPN, you've heard of the Mike and Mike show. Today is the Mike and Mark show. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be gold looked in because that's he's a big and you're gonna be greeny. I, I wasn't gonna say one. it. I well, wasn't gonna say you it. Know. So today's guest is Father Mark Toops. He is the vicar general at the Home of Thibodeau Diocese and the pastor at Our Lady of the Isle in Grand Isle, Louisiana. Welcome to the show, Mark. It's great to be here. I had to leave Paradise to come to this uh, this place this that we call place. this lowly place of Lafayette, <laughs> but. You know, when, when, I, when I see people like you, Todd, and this guy right over here, Father Mike, it, it makes my heart happy. It, it made the pilgrimage worth the journey. Well, I'm telling you. So our co-host today was, ironically enough, the very first guest on Cajun Catholics, and that is Father Michael Delcom. Yeah, I'm here for redemption. Mm. <laughs> you have to speak in complete sentences today, please. I've learned so much since mine. then. <laughs> okay, so Father Mark, so much to talk about, but I want you to tell a little bit of our listeners about yourself. Uh, born and raised in Homa, number five of six, three boys, three girls, with the Brady Bunch, and uh, had great parents. Mom and dad were men and women of faith. My mom was uh, probably more vocal and articulate about the uh, mysteries of the faith. My dad was just a man of great virtue and example. I never had to wonder what it looked like to live as a Catholic or a Christian because my father was a beautiful example of that and as a young man growing up who just wants to be like his dad I tried to emulate a lot of those virtues and that's what eventually led me to begin to think about the priesthood my dad thought about the priesthood when he was younger and uh, he always made it attractive whenever we spoke about what the Lord might be calling you to so when we were around the dinner table we talked about being a doctor lawyer an Indian chief or a Ford dealer <laughs> and my dad said if you're going to do anything in life either be a Ford dealer or a priest because both of those automatically go to heaven so so father mark you know it's phd is what i have it's papa has dealership you know? <laughs> Uh, and so it's it's a yes it's a unique profession um you know these guys just did an amazing mission at sacred heart and broussard and um you you already kind of hit on something that you mentioned that really touched me and it was the fact that we either spend our lives wanting to be our fathers or not wanting to be our fathers i guess but in your case i'm hearing that you wanted to be your father i had the great privilege of checking out your youtube video on your vocation story mm. and man i don't know who does your production i'm mm. so intrigued because that's what i do for a living but it was beautiful yeah yeah but yeah. T- tell us your vocation story yeah so uh, i began to think about priesthood when i was in high school uh, as my mother and father 
continued to give us lots of room in our family to um, to think about where the Lord was calling us. And thought about it in high school, thought about it in college, uh, dated throughout high school, dated all throughout college. And um, couldn't see myself not being a priest, but also couldn't see myself not being married. So I didn't know how to reconcile those two things. And um, that's what eventually led me to Washington, D.C. I had a sister and a brother living up there, and I just wanted to get away from everything so I would be a little bit freer to hear the voice of the Lord. And that was, uh, as they say, the best of times and the worst of times. (laughs) And um, so I was uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, I think as I was uh, hitting the rocks on rock bottom, I think morally and, and spiritually, and just kind of drinking in too much of what the world was offering. My heart was open. I was asking questions about what's the meaning of life and what's the purpose of life and do I want to live the rest of my life as unhappy as I am now. And then that's where I had a, an encounter with the Lord on a subway and God got my attention. It was pretty clear after that happened that I was supposed to at least go to the seminary and check it out. So I wasn't convinced that I was going to be a priest. It was more of a business decision. I didn't want to ask what if for the rest of my life. I knew I could go to the seminary and check it out, and, and if that wasn't the call, I could get married, but I knew I couldn't get married, check it out, and if that didn't work, I'd go to the seminary. So um, I heard the voice of the Lord clearly on that subway that I was supposed to go to the seminary. I took it one year at a time, and then uh, when I was in the seminary, I just realized that uh, there's no perfection in life. It's not like there was going to be a booming voice that called me, but the more that I fell in love with Jesus, it just felt right that the way to stay in love with Jesus was most natural through the priesthood. And so while it was the function of the priests and what priests do that was attractive, I think it was for me just, I, I want to love Jesus and I want to spend the rest of my life with Jesus. And if I can do that as a priest and it felt real, real natural, then I was going to say yes to that. And it's been an amazing journey. 20 years. This May, May 26, wow. will be 20 years. So, Okay. I want you to go back just a tad because I was very touched by your conversion story or your, your vocation story. Tell them the story about the man because I love that story. Yeah. So I was working for the largest management consulting firm in the world and we were doing some exciting things and I was, um, you know, moving up the corporate ladder faster than I thought and uh, things were unfolding well. And um, and while it was probably the most exciting time for me in many ways, it was also a time where I was just searching for, there's got to be more than life than this. You know, So when I was in college, I was dreaming about what life was going to look like in the future. And I said, hey, when I get this or when I get that, then I'm going to be happy. Well, at, at a very young age, and, and a big surprise to me, I, I had some of those things, whether it be financial things or relational things with a woman that I thought I was going to marry. And, and, and it, none of those things were making me ultimately happy. And so I was walking to, from the office uh, to the subway one afternoon. It was a Wednesday afternoon. And um, as I was walking to the subway, there was this guy on the side of the street. And uh, he literally was on a soapbox. He was on this Coke crate. And he was talking about the world's going to come to an end and repent and be ready. And um, I walked away and I said, and I repent for saying this, I said what probably a lot of people would have said at that point. I said, God, that guy's a freak, you know. <laughs> And, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't shake it, Todd. I, he was in my head. And the entire way that I was on my way to Union uh, Station to have lunch with my girlfriend, I, I, I kept saying, I wonder if that guy's a prophet. Like, what did they say about Isaiah? What did they say about uh, Jeremiah? What did they say about the great prophets? You know, people probably walked by him and said, freak, you know. And uh, so I was on, on my way back after lunch, and I couldn't find him, and I wanted to see him, but I never saw him again. And uh, months went by. But I thought about him often, and... It was in October, and uh, I was, it was a late night. It was a Friday night. Got on the subway at probably around 10 o'clock, 
so the subway can hold, you know, you know, 200 people, and there's two people on the subway car that I'm on, and right before the doors close, guess who gets on the subway, right? That the, guy. That guy, right? The the prophet, and um, he walked right up to me, looked me dead in the eye, and it felt like he was staring through me, and he said words that I'll never forget: "What are you waiting for? You know, you're called to do something great." And the subway stopped, and he got off the subway. And I looked to my right, and we were at uh, the Catholic University station stop. And when I looked to my right outside the window, there was a statue of the Blessed Mother lit up with her arms wide open. And I said, well, if I'm looking for a sign from God, that's about as big as a sign as it's going to get. And yeah, I just knew in that moment that the Lord was seeking me out to hear his voice. And so that's what got my attention, and I quit my job. That was on a Friday night. I quit my job on Monday. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing that story because it touched. Uh, I was showing a few people at work before you came here, and they were we, all, we were all crying in my office. So you knew this story. You've seen the video. Have you found them? Didn't see the video. I've heard oh uh, most of the story, but it, it never gets old. It never gets old, and just always good to, to hear him say it and just to hear God's providence and, and God's pursuit of him. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful. I am grateful. <laughs> so I guess we didn't mention where he went to college, you know. Harvard on the Bayou. In Thibodeau, okay. Nichols okay. State University. Okay. I know that. Fighting colonels. <laughs> Very good. So we just wrapped up this big series, and man, I mean, you know, there's so many takeaways for me. I had gone to the men's night and just blown away. Like, we could have just ended it when it started as to how many men were in those pews. I could not believe it. I was touched, and I sat next to your dad, yeah, and, it was uh, and it, it was uh, it was just moving. I mean, honestly, to see all those men, and I'll let you take it where you want to regarding what we're going to talk about today. But the fishing lure for me, you know, mm. was the was the hook. Mm. But um, tell us a little bit about that first night. First night, we talked about uh, the spiritual attack that men face because I think that if men look deep inside their heart. Um, they, they are aware of the struggle, but some of those struggles, as the scripture says to us, are, are not of flesh and blood, but of, uh, but, but are, are of a spiritual nature. And um, we, we believe that there is a God. We also believe that uh, everything that, that God says to us is absolutely true. And in the scriptures, the first pope, Peter, in the first letter they ever wrote, said that we should be sober and alert because the enemy is pursuing us, looking to take us down. And there's a spiritual battle out there, and there's a spiritual attack. And I'm not one who believes that the devil's under every rock, but I do believe that the devil's under one of those rocks, and uh, we need to take those rocks seriously. And so the image that I used is the image of a fishing lure. Uh, and we were kind of playing around with the fishing lure, but I had a topwater bait with me, which had three treble hooks in it. And I said, you know, if you present this lure to a fish in the right way and in the, the right circumstances, then um, he'll bite on it. And he doesn't see the hook that's there. He just sees something that looks appealing to him. And when something that is appealing to us is presented to us in the right way, most of us, if we don't know that there is a battle out there, are going to bite onto it. And the dangerous part about that is that it's not really about the fishing lure. It's about the fishermen. Like uh, there's there's a fisherman on the other end of the lure. And the only reason he's presenting that lure to you is to inevitably put a fish in an ice chest, and we all know what's going to happen at the end of that story when a fish is in the ice chest and that lid's locked. And and there's a battle out there, and the enemy that we fight only wants one thing. He doesn't want to slow us down, and he doesn't want to distract us. He wants our spiritual death. 
And so if we knew that something was being presented to us that was going to lead to our spiritual death, every one of us would, 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 would take attention to that, right? But the problem is, is that when you present a lure to a fish, it's something that he's attracted to. And so the, the battle in the spiritual life is knowing that we're actually presented things that we are attracted to, and that is what makes them so appealing. That's where the hook is. And, and for men, there were, there were two takeaways for me that first night. And, and the first where I just thought that there was a lot of, I think, energy in the room was in the ways that men try to prove that we are who we are, right? And I was uh, kind of quoting John Eldridge uh, as he, he says that men try to prove themselves through the three Bs. When we're younger, we try to prove ourselves on the ball field, athleticism and things like that. Uh, later on in puberty, we try to prove ourselves in the bedroom. And then as we get older, in the boardroom. And, and so when we're younger, we, we try to prove that I am a guy, right, through physical activity. It could be on the ball field. But also in South Louisiana, it could be at the camp. It could be in the boat, right? But we want to hang with the guys. We want to be a man. And we want to compete. That competition takes us into, into puberty. And, and unfortunately, every guy can and should repent if he's ever used women to prove that he is somebody. And then later on in life, I think that men get trapped in trying to prove that they are through their finances or through their professional lives. And, and so I think a lot of, there was a lot of head shaking with the way that we try to prove ourselves. I think many, many men are just trying to be their dad or many men are trying to not be their dad. Like, I think a lot of us are driven by something. But the first thing that I think got my attention was the many ways that men try to prove themselves. And I know that it might look different for a layman and a married man like yourself uh, than it does for a priest. But I think we're all trying in some way how to, to, to prove that we, we are somebody. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest is Father Mark Toops. He is the pastor of Our Lady of the Isle in Grand Isle, Louisiana, Paradise on Earth. Father Mike... Tell me how proud you were of the turnout, you know, especially that first night. I mean, was that a surprise? No? It was a bit, a bit. I mean, we had 220 men, a lot of faces that I have not seen in a while, a lot of faces from outside of our parish. So I was excited, a bit surprised, but uh, excited that I think the invitation was heard, that I was trusting that a lot of our men from the parish went out and invited other men. So just excited and pleased, and um, what I was also excited about was that the second night as we invited men to go and invite their wives um i mean we we almost doubled wow you know i can't imagine that because uh, it was incredible and uh yeah i was excited to get home and tell jill hey you need to show up over here uh one of the things uh father mark that caught me really touched me really you know so in my prayer life i, I think about about my how the Holy Spirit touched me deeply, and I want to—I don't want to lose that feeling. I've been chasing it since Crescia for me, since my conversion. And um, you know, I always think to myself, I'm testing myself. How do I know God exists? You know, and, and and immediately this week in prayer, it came to well because the devil is very obviously exists. If you look at today's world, I know for me it's probably easier to prove that the, the devil exists. And so that was my thought pattern. And then when you said that the devil shows up in 90% of the good, you know, yeah. that really. The enemy cloaks his lies in 90% truths. Um, you know, so that's, I think that's, that's why it grips us so much um, that, that sometimes the enemy is going to present himself in something that's overtly evil. But I think most of the guys who are listening to this radio program and most of the guys that we hang out with are not guys who are into evil. But every one of us is tempted. 
And sometimes we're tempted in, in something that's a 90% truth, right? So, um, uh, so in my, my pursuit um, of, of trying to prove that I am someone, um, it's usually around success because um, that's been a story of my life ever since I was a kid with my dad. I wanted to prove to my dad that I, I can be somebody, that I'm going to get it right, you know? And so where I am hooked by the enemy is certainly around my identity as a man is usually around failure. Uh, and so here, here's what the lie sounds in my heart. Um, you made a mistake. Uh, everyone saw the mistake. You hurt people with the mistake. And what does that mean? Okay, now the enemy is going to package his lies in 90% truths, right? So one more time, here's the lie. You made a mistake. Everyone saw the mistake. People were hurt by the mistake. So what does that mean? All right, so 90% of that is true. Okay, I made a mistake. Well, 100% of that is true. Mm-hmm. People know that I made a mistake. 100% of that is true. People were hurt by the mistake. 100% of that is true. So, so far, like, we, we, everything's lining up. And then there's a whisper at the end. All right, so what does that mean? And I answer the rest of well, I, I am a mistake. Now, 100% of that is false, right? So, 90% of the statement, it's cloaked, right? And things that sound so familiar and right to me that I just bite into the last piece. That's where the hook of the lure is. And and so uh, there's, there's different ways that men hear the temptation um, of trying to prove themselves. I think a lot of men feel the burden of providing for their family and a responsibility to provide for their family. Um, I think many men... Um, are, are, are just either trying to fulfill expectations they have of themselves or fulfill expectations they feel other people have of themselves. But um, I think none of those things determine our identity um, because all of those things are temporary, they're fleeting, and they're fragile. And our identity is forever and it's unchanging. And um, you talked about your experience in Christia. Obviously, your, your encounter with the Holy Spirit was a life-changing event. And uh, I think one of the things that really I felt like a movement in the church on Monday night was when I said, when I know whose I am, I know who I am. And I had said that, that, that I can never change the fact that biologically I am the son of Prosper Tubes. Regardless of what happens in a relationship, regardless of even what legal action I would take, I can never change the, the, the reality that I only have one biological father. I will always be his son. Nothing can change that. And, and likewise, in the spiritual life, there's nothing that I can do in my life that will change the fact that I am the beloved son of a loving father. And um, when I know whose I am, I know who I am, right? I can make all the mistakes in the world. Um, I, can, I, I can, the external circumstances of my life can change. I can get older. Uh, I can age and, and struggle to be the person I used to be. But in the end, I am the son of a loving father. And I think that that has a, if, if we let it, that has a life-changing implication for a man. Preach. Preach that. <laughs> Preach it. Uh, another thing that you said, and uh, I want to talk about that, is um, anyone can do, I'm starting to talk like you guys, you know, anyone. Holy <laughs> Spirit. So anyone can. Uh, Hail can, <laughs> Mary for the grace. That's how you put the rosary. In the anyone can, uh, can do your job at work. But mm. only you can do your job at home as a parent. And I want to tell you, I, I had heard that once before, but I think a lot of men had heard that for the first time. 
but let me tell you what my thought was, and it, and it, it requires a little digger deepen, digger deepen, if that's a word, d- deeper digging, uh, uh, in in the minds of the working man, because a lot of the men, and I know that I can relate to this. I said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Not anybody can do my job at work. You know, that was my thought when I heard that the first time. Thought about it last night. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I, I not that I'm really good, but man, I, I take my job very passionately. So, like most men. Take their occupation and they think to themselves, well, no, I'm irreplaceable. A lot of men would say that. So they think to themselves, well, yes, it's true that, that I'm the only father of my parent, of my, of my kids, and it's super important, but, but man, I'm like, I'm, I'm the man at work and I'm doing this for my family. So th- even though what you say is true, I think men double take on that. Yeah, the quote it comes from an author, Andy Stanley, and he says, uh, and I quote, when, when men uh, spend too much time at work and not enough time at home, they abandon a role that only they can fill and choose one that almost anyone can. So um, notice that, it, that Andy Stanley is actually talking about the word role. So no, not every, not any, no one else would be able to do what you do at work the way that you do it. But the role of leader can be filled by other people. And they may not be able to do it the same way that you do, but other people could step into that role, right, and do it the way they're going to do it and, 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 and maybe lead the company. That makes sense. Um, God, in his creation of the family, created the role of a father, and God placed a human being in that role. And so the question for a man is, why would you abandon a role um, at home that God asked you to fill? Um, so that you can you can choose a role that maybe no one's going to be able to do like you, right? But in the end, um, if you're not the father of your kid, then somebody on YouTube is going to be, or some coach is going to be. And are you going are you guaranteed that someone else is going to father your child the way that you would want to want to raise them? And I think that's the concern right now is that um, it, it's it's not the fact that men would think that. My concern in the attack is that men would equate their job at work and their job at home as the same importance. Mm-hmm. Like that's the attack. Yeah. Um, like we 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 have become so desensitized to the sacred nature of family that I would understand that a man would say, "Well, hey, I've got a job at home and I've got a job at work, and they're both jobs." Well, part of the attack is like, okay, you. Like we are now in a spot in life where we equate those two to have the same value. And um, I, I would just, uh, that's where I think part of the attack is. We've become desensitized to the order of it all. So at the end of the night, I, I think where a lot of guys really kind of connected was, I said, there are four things that, that a, a man needs to prioritize in his life. I said, the number one thing that you are is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the number two thing is you're married, for those of you who are married, as a husband. The third thing for those of you who has kids is you are a father. And the fourth thing is that you are a provider. But um, when there is a lack of order, there is disorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we want order in our life, I think we got to keep those four things in mind. So to show you the fruits of your labor, um, uh, Jill and I are like never apart. We, we really are and especially as we've gotten empty nesting, we're enjoying it, and we enjoy each other's company. Well, she goes to y'all's mission on the Tuesday night, and I'm alone, 
which I don't do well, for a couple of hours. And, uh, and, and lo and behold, one of our employees calls me and is going through everything that we just talked about. And I began to echo everything that I just learned from you. And, uh, and, and that whole conversation lasts for a good hour and a half. And, and only by the grace of God, I, I, like I said, normally would not have gotten that call at night. And um, there it is. Just boom. That's how, mm-hmm. that's how, that's how it works. So jump in here, Big Daddy. No, I'm uh, just enjoying, enjoying the conversation. I <laughs> uh, feel like I'm back on Monday night. Just, uh, yeah, just proud of my friend. Okay, so one of the things, Father Mark, in your vocation story that, that grabbed me uh, was you, you, you said it twice, where are the saints? Mm. Why? Tell me what that means to you. I, um, ever since I was a kid, um, just the way that I'm particularly wired, I, I want to win. I've been an, an athlete my whole life, and, and, and I like to compete, and I, don't, I am not one of those guys who purely enjoys the sport of the sport. Uh, I enjoy winning. You don't have any participation trophies uh, uh, in your office? N- no participation trophies in my office. That's why y'all are best friends, by the way. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> That's right. And, um, and yeah, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> participation. Yeah, I'm, I'm second place. That means I lost. <laughs> That's right. And so so to me, I um, as I pressed into my conversion, I think one of the things that um, I, uh, to be quite to be completely honest, I, I remember standing, sitting in the pew for years and um, listening to bad homilies and uh, sitting there saying, like, if you can't get excited about what you're talking about, like, wh- why are you doing this? And that's not a judgment, per se, to the men who were speaking to me. Um, it is an honest statement about what a man felt when he was in the pew. And um, I kept hearing, you know, them say, well, do this or do that. And I was like, well, if you can't get excited about it, like, like you know. And then, and then I saw the stories of, of St. Francis of Assisi, and I saw the stories of, of Peter being uh, crucified upside down. Uh, I heard stories of, um, of men like St. Ignatius of Loyola who, who had dramatic conversions and who did great things for God. And, and um, you know, I was... Uh, I was making a lot of money and I was living with a beautiful woman. And if I'm going to leave all that, like I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and just do something mediocre. But I didn't see in the church men who were living it with passion. I didn't see the saints. And um, so if, if I'm going to join a team, I want to, I want to win. I want to be on the winning team. And I didn't see any other guys that are, were on that team that inspired me. And, um, it was in one of those moments where I was um, passive aggressively um, yelling at the Lord about where the saints are, and He's like, "Well, like, what if I'm calling one right now?" Whoa. You know, in other words, if it's if 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 guys like you aren't going to say yes, then then guys like you aren't going to be inspired in the pew. And so it was kind of a checkmate from the Lord of maybe I am calling saints, and maybe they're just not saying yes. You know, and um, that's not to say that there aren't many heroic saints who are. Who are living their lives in heroic ways? Who are who are raising families and and married? I just um, I was looking at a very particular face of the saints uh, in the priest, and I didn't see what I wanted. And um, I just felt the Lord said, "All right, well then, how about you jump on the team and help me make it better?" And so, uh, with great love to all of my brother my brothers, I, it's been an awesome journey as a priest. But I've I've labored for 20 years 
uh, for the renewal of the priesthood. And it's got to start from the inside out. If it doesn't start from the inside out, then I think we're going to be we're going to fall into the same trap. So God desperately wants the renewal of the priesthood, and when we renew the priesthood, the church, the, the church is going to be so attractive that everybody's going to want to be Catholic. That's beautiful. You've been listening to Cajun Catholics. We're coming to the end of part one. I hope you will tune in next week because we have a whole lot more to discuss. And again, you've been listening to Cajun Catholics with Father Mark Toops. And we always challenge you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Until next week, God bless.